0: This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Mike Simpson.
1: I'm Charles Feldman. Three elected members of L.A. City Council, all Latinos, talking in remarkably candid and often racist terms about council redistricting during a secret recording that was held for well over a year. Now, with less than a month to go before a pivotal election, Where Los Angeles residents will be electing a new mayor, that secret recording has been released, unleashing a political earthquake in a city that's already seen its fair share of corruption and racism scandals. We will go in-depth on all of it, from the fates of the three city council members caught using racial slurs on tape to its impact on the mayoral race. And we'll also talk about the often corrupt influences on the city's redistricting process.
0: Russian President Vladimir Putin lashing out today after his army has taken a beating in Ukraine, has uh, his highly symbolic bridge to Crimea hit with a bomb. Russian missiles hit several civilian targets across Ukrainian cities. We'll go to Kiev and hear one survivor's story. Just in time for the fall and winter months, there's a new COVID variant that's making the rounds. How worried about that should we be? And colonoscopies are near universally recommended to help early detection and diagnosis of colorectal cancers. But there's new research out of Norway. Norway suggesting perhaps they aren't so effective as an early warning. So we'll talk about that.
1: We start, of course, with the City Hall scandals. Joining us now is Nithya Raman, who is an L.A. City Council member representing the 4th District. Thanks for being with us. Uh, What is your view on whether your uh, colleagues, Norea Martinez and Kevin DeLeon and Gil Cedillo, should they be resigning from the council?
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me today. You know, I really just wanted to say that uh, the sentiments that we heard in those recordings are horrifying. It was openly racist comments, anti-Black, anti-Indigenous. Um, there was homophobic tropes that were used in in, in the description of other council members and um, racist language used towards children. Um, I, I think the, it was, I'm still reeling from from hearing it.
3: I got
1: that. But uh, the question is, should they resign?
2: I've, I've already gone on the record asking uh, that they should resign. I think that these are, you know, this is language that's really not fitting for elected representatives of such a diverse city.
0: What do you think people are trying to digest as they as they realize some of this and, and hear the recording? Because we hope that there's always a, this us versus them that we're past that, right? But this makes it clear that at least in maybe in the minds of these three that that we're not.
2: Um, explain that question. What do you mean by us versus them? I mean, I think I think politics is inherently, there's conflict in politics. You're always running against somebody. Um, there are obviously different groups that are vying for political power in the city. I think there's conflict inherent in politics. I would say that I don't think most people in Los Angeles, even those closely involved with politics, see it in the way that these uh, recordings describe it.
0: I mean... Racial lines, right? Or neighborhoods and this kind of thing. And and there's a there's there's we can split this into two, right? There's the comments that were made on tape. There's the tropes you talk about. There's the racist comments we can talk about. Then there's just the redistricting. And it seems like what these three were doing is trying to consolidate their own power and divvy up neighborhoods and even talking about, you know, your district. Should that should that process change?
2: Well, absolutely. And I want to say that I think that while there was a conversation that was happening on these recordings that talked about racial representation, I don't think that conversation was being made in good faith. And I think the recordings really speak to that. Uh, They talked about uh, Latino power and insulted indigenous Latinos. Um, They talked about races where two Latino candidates were running against each other. Um, it was much more about consolidating individual political power, not about a broader question around representation and, and how we create a city that's truly representative of all Angelinos. That's a really different conversation to have, and one that I think is really important to have, and I think this redistricting process is really, really messed up. This was my first real involvement with it. I was only elected a little over a year and a half ago, and this happened a few months into my tenure. And after seeing it, after being a part of it, um, you know, I put forward a motion calling for a truly independent redistricting commission in the city of Los Angeles. In our redistricting process here, this is not an independent process. Council members appoint their own commissioners. They're allowed to speak to them. They just have to report those conversations, but they're allowed to have conversations with the people they appoint. And then when the maps come to council, the council is free to, 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 to change those maps completely. And that's exactly what happened in this last cycle. And, you know, I think for me, uh, we have a model in the state uh, for how independent redistricting can happen. I think there are models across the entire country for how it can happen more effectively. I've put forward a motion calling for that and pushing for that. And I think this recording underscores how important an independent redistricting process is for Los Angeles.
1: And what is the sentiment on the council and your view about doing that, restructuring it so that you have an independent commission doing it?
2: I think that now there will be certainly more more support for it, um, and I'm hoping that the motion winds its way through council committees far more quickly than it has been moving, which is very, very slowly.
0: Nithya Raman, L.A. City council member, represents the 4th district.
1: Uh, we've reached out to the uh, two mayoral candidates to talk about this, uh, Karen Bass and uh, Rick Caruso. We have not yet heard back from Karen Bass. We have heard back from Rick Caruso, and he will join
0: us next. This is KNX In-Depth, along with Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson.
1: Right now, though, back to the issue with the L.A. City Council President, Nuri uh, Martinez, who has already announced that she's stepping down from the leadership post of Council President, but our next guest who could be the city's next mayor, wants her to leave the council altogether. should point out we invited uh, Congresswoman Karen Bass to be on the show with us on the same topic. have not heard back from her as yet, but Rick Caruso joins us. He, of course, is a candidate to be the next mayor of Los Angeles. Thank you, Mr. Caruso, for being with us. So there are two very distinct issues, as we've already discussed on the show. There is uh, There are the, the horrendous racial comments that were made and recorded. There's also the issue... Uh, The context of which this all came up, which was in this meeting about carving up, in effect, the city redistricting. So can you address both of those beginning, of course, with the comments on tape?
4: Right. Well, you know, I made a statement and and again, thanks, Charles, for having me on and James. But I made a clear statement on it um, on this. Maybe you guys want to post it, but it's a horrifying language. It's vile. It's unacceptable. It's racist. And it can be no part of our city and uh, no part of our leadership. It's just not the way that we should all be behaving, period. And, um, you know, I don't, would never tolerate it as mayor. And as a candidate, uh, I wouldn't tolerate it. And that's why I've made the statement about, I believe, those that were involved uh, should resign, not just step down from leadership roles, but should resign. Because, listen, this is a moment in time where we've got to have faith in our leadership. We have to come together as a city. We are the greatest city. Celebrate our diversity, which I've talked about for years and years. That's the strength of our city. And um, let's reunite and say, okay, um, massive, massive, terrible thing here, but let's move forward. Uh, This city is worth fighting for and and moving forward. The idea to get into a room uh, behind closed doors and start carving up the city is terribly wrong. I mean, it just violates the sacred duty that elected officials have to be public servants, not to be serving their own interests. And uh, they need to represent every Angelino. I mean, that's their job, and figure out a way to have everybody prosper and do well and feel safe and have this city more livable. So, you know, on both fronts, Horrifying, unacceptable, can't be tolerated. But now let's move forward.
0: And in terms of the resignations, it would include Gil Cedillo, because your first statement said, you know, a couple people in this room support your opponent, Martinez, Kevin de Leon. They've endorsed her. Um, your next statement did say resign all of them, but Gil Cidillo supported supported you. So do you do you renounce that?
4: I do. I was clear in my statement, and let me tell you, to be clear on this, we need to have a big, bright line on how we expect our leaders to behave and uh and treat people whether you're a friend of mine whether you've endorsed me or not doesn't change the rules and there has to be real clarity on that and that's why listen it was tough to do i know all four of them i know all three of them i know all four in the room i know ron also but ron's not elected official, so that is up to him to do what he ever he decides to do or his membership but um the elected officials you know, they all did terrible things and they all should resign.
1: And to people who, Angelinos who hear about all this and they go, well, this is, you know, it's terrible, but this is the stuff that's been going on for ages in this city, you would say what?
4: I, I would say the system is broken. It's gotten worse. Uh, we've got to change it. The city deserves better. Uh, it will get better. I believe. I'm glad there's a big light that was shined on this. It's now out and everybody can see it and everybody needs to demand a higher standard for our leaders. But we need to do it in a way that we can come together, sort of lock arms, come together as a city and uh, expect more. And I, I'm very hopeful that's what's going to happen is bringing people together. I'm going to certainly work hard doing that.
1: Let me ask you, on a a somewhat different matter, you'll recall on the debate that we had uh, the other night uh, here on KNX, one of the issues that came up was whether or not Congresswoman Bass had uh, actually applied for that master's degree, uh, degree program at USC. And when we questioned her, she said that she would release it before the election. Well, her staff did just about a half an hour ago. They sent us over what appears to be Per application for social work at USC. Now I should point out it's it's not signed or processed by the university so this would appear to be what was sent in, not what was you know received and then and then uh, sent back with I presume a, an affirmative response. But it does appear to be a very lengthy application form uh, for the 2012 class uh, for a master's in social Work. so I wanted you to comment on that.
4: You know, uh, Charles, I haven't seen it, so I can't comment on it. Uh, I can only comment on what the LA Times reported is that there was not an application and what the federal prosecutors reported in their filing in federal court that there was never an application. But, you know, listen, I'm eager to see it and I'm sure you guys will go through it and you'll make your own judgment call on it. But I, I also feel very strongly today isn't a day about campaigning and politics. It's, it's really a day that we uh, regroup as a city and, and start moving forward together.
1: Well, uh, one other thing, though, you did promise. She promised the application. You promised that you were going to cough up the uh, references to Scientology. Remember that one that, that the congresswoman says she made? Uh, do you have that?
4: Oh, we did. My understanding is our press team that evening uh, gave those out. So if for some reason you didn't get them, I'll make sure you do.
0: Okay, very good. We'll be checking our email. All right, (laughs) Rick Caruso there, candidate to be L.A.'s next mayor. Again, we did invite the congresswoman to come on the show. No response as of yet. And we are going to post this document at KNXnews.com.
1: Now, while this city council scandal is generating headlines over racism, as we've been pointing out, you can't forget the corruption aspect of it when it comes to how the city's council districts are drawn up. That when we come back.
0: This is KNX In-Depth, along with Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson.
1: At the end of today's In-Depth, new research raises the possibility that colonoscopies might not be as effective as first thought when it comes to early detection of cancers. But before that, we will head back to Kiev, Ukraine, where Russia's war returned to that capital city in a violent manner today.
0: Right now, though, not a coincidence, not likely that this L.A. City Council scandal was born out of a conversation about redistricting. It's long been a process vulnerable to corrupt influences. And on the leaked tape, you can hear the council members Kind of going back and forth, uh, trading economic major assets in their district. What should go where? How can we divvy this up? Hernan Molina is a political analyst for the L.A.-based Estrella TV, hosts the Dos Tipos Politicos podcast. He's been with us before. Hernan, thanks for being back. So, yeah, I think people always uh, have a notion that maybe this gets kind of fishy redistricting. We have all these different stories across the country about it. But to actually hear it in this kind of a manner and have it so blatant, um, this is something else.
5: Absolutely. And I think Nithya Roman, Council, Councilwoman uh, Nithya Roman, uh, was very correct denouncing the process. This has been something that they've been tossing around, not only assets, but constituencies. Remember that David Ryu finally became the representative of Koreatown after that district had been uh, massaged to a point that the Koreans themselves never really had the power to elect a, a representative of a, such significant significant community here in Los Angeles. So, Definitely, there has to be a reform. So I'm glad that this crisis is putting this over the table. But I think it's the, the stinking problem here is the corruption and the, the, the deal trading. And we know, obviously, that we have seen council members going to jail and others being prosecuted and one being suspended right now, waiting for the trial to be uh, ongoing, correct? So that continues to be a huge problem for this city.
1: What, what are the chances that the city council will eventually reform itself?
5: Unlikely. I think they need to have these kind of scandals for the people of Los Angeles to unite and really call for and uh, push for the, for the uh, reforms. But I don't think uh, one of them is uh, going to be able to push and convince the others to follow lead. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I, I want to be hopeful that these uh, reforms will, will happen, but we know what has happened in the past. Major, major scandals Force the hands in, in order for them to to go ahead and do the right thing. And look, uh, these council members have not resigned. Nuri Martinez just stepped down from her council presidency. She should uh, perhaps consider leaving the council altogether.
0: Yeah. Do you think they end up resigning? Either she does, or or the other two as well. And I guess Gil Cedillo is going to be out soon, anyways. But can that council continue to function with with this hanging over it?
5: It's going to be very difficult. Imagine that they have to be in the same room together and then in commissions, because it's not just the work on the city council level, it's also the commission work that gets things done uh, uh, for the city. So it's going to be very, very difficult. And it goes beyond just themselves. It goes also to the the role of the unions and and the power the unions have over the city council as well as over the legislature in, in Sacramento. So I think this is obviously something that it, it's rotten at several several levels and it's it's really expansive this uh, bomb that went off, and i think that there're going to be more casualties
1: so if you don't think it's realistic that the council will reform itself where would the reform come from
5: well it has to come from the constituents from the same uh, people that uh, have risen up in 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 the past when the uh, L.A. Charter, for instance was reformed and the the neighborhood councils Came about, uh, there has to be this kind of movement, but it cannot be obviously trusted upon the same people who are going to benefit in, in, in the term, in the, in the sense of uh, getting power and, and serving. So it has to come from the people, but it also has to come from the people who are civic leaders, who, the people who uh, have had an involvement in the city, either because they donate money to worthy causes, like Eli, Eli Broad, for instance. Uh, this has to come from many different actors in our society, and I think it's it's obviously time. Uh, this this scandal is showing how uh, re- redistricting has to be rethought for the city of Los Angeles.
0: Hernan Molina, political analyst for Estrella TV, hosts the Dos Tipos Politicos podcast.
1: Still to come, several major U.S. airports came under cyber attack this morning, which could be a sign of things to come as Russia appears to be losing its war in Ukraine. This is KX In-Depth with Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman.
0: Hackers took aim at the websites for most of the ma- major American airports this morning. LAX included Atlanta's uh, airport, New York's LaGuardia, many more inaccessible. The flight operations, though, not impacted.
1: It's noteworthy, though, that uh, Russian hackers haven't made much of an impact in the war in Ukraine, nor have they gone after high-profile Western targets in recent months, with Russia essentially losing its war in Ukraine. Uh, Will all that now change? Teresa Payton is CEO of the cybersecurity consulting firm Fort Solutions. She served as the White House chief information officer in the George W. Bush administration. Teresa, thanks for being with us. So if, in fact, this uh, hacking uh, episode this morning affecting all these airports was somehow connected to the war in Ukraine, Russia's war in Ukraine, what's the message they're sending? That we're vulnerable here?
6: Well, just that they can cause chaos and mayhem and that there are some vulnerabilities. It's interesting because this group is known as Kilnet as far as sort of the early hours, you know, same day, uh, early hours of attribution goes. And this group is believed to be sympathetic and supportive of the Kremlin, but they're not sort of one of the elite military or intelligence operations directly tied Uh, to the current regime, Uh, but they do like to go after denial of service attacks because that gives people the sense that oh, things aren't working and that there's vulnerabilities there.
0: So is this a different situation than of what could precede some some kind of you know, cyber attack from a group that's more linked towards the Russian military? And then we would know that this is kind of something else. This could be these guys kind of having some fun, poking around, doing what they normally do rather than, you know, whatever cyber arm of the military is going, OK, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to shut this down.
6: Well, what's interesting is it could be a couple of things. One, it could just be you know, flexing the muscles and, you know, showing America's, you know, business travelers and world travelers that uh, there's vulnerabilities. But it could also be something a little bit more sinister, where this group could have been doing reconnaissance on behalf of uh, the Russian government. And they may have had some learnings from these distributed denial of service attacks. What worked? What didn't work? How much volume it took to actually start to create a situation where the websites just said, I give up, I'm going offline. And we do know from the past that uh, Russian cyber criminal syndicates and Russian nation state sponsored operatives in the past, in years past, have used distributed denial of service attacks to do successful Cybercrime incidents against businesses, and so um, everybody should take note I of me. Mean, it was it, the good news is, is these websites were back up and running. There is no indication that sort of the back office operations of the airlines were impacted. But everybody should be not just breathing a sigh of relief; they should be looking to see what did these operatives potentially learn and pass on to Vladimir Putin and the Russian government.
1: And yet this sort of thing happens over and over again. I mean, I can recall, it wasn't that long ago that there was a, I don't remember if it was the same group, but there was a hack uh, that affected airline operations. There have been in the past year or two hacks that uh, have impacted airline reservation systems. It doesn't seem like we ever get to the point where we've come up with a way to stop them. Is that because there is no way?
6: Yeah. Unfortunately, in this interconnected world, everything is hackable. The goal is understanding where the vulnerabilities lie and creating mitigating controls and doing the best job possible to avoid having situations like this. And then when situations like this happen, being able to be recoverable and resilient in real time is very, very important. So the good news is, is this wasn't something that was a sustained outage over the course of days. Uh, This was something that happened over the course of hours. Um, So I I would say, you know, good response there, Uh, but there's definitely some lessons learned from today to ask, do we have the right distributed denial service uh, solutions in place? for critical infrastructure, for transportation writ large. And if we don't, uh, we need to be bolstering those defenses. This will not be the last time Russia or other state-sponsored operatives or even just rogue cyber criminal syndicates will launch distributed denial of service attacks. For them, it doesn't cost a lot of money to do. They can do it with some level of knowing they probably will not go to jail. Uh, So there's really not any disincentive for them not to launch these attacks.
0: Teresa Payton, CEO of the cybersecurity consulting firm Fortalee Solutions, served as the White House chief information officer in the George W. Bush administration.
1: Coming up, uh, we'll go over to Kiev, where Russia's ongoing war against Ukraine uh, came exploding back to the capital city there.
0: This is Kaganak In-Depth. Mike Simpson and Charles Feldman.
1: Russia launched one of its broadest missile barrages against Ukrainian cities since the start of the war, targeting at least 11 cities with dozens of missiles, killing at least 14 people and wounding dozens more. The targets all seem to be civilian in nature, including a pedestrian bridge in central Kiev. The attacks were intended as retaliation of sorts for recent battlefield losses by the Russian army and for a car bomb that uh, badly damaged a bridge connecting Crimea with mainland Russia.
0: For people in Kyiv, it's the first time they've heard air raid sirens and had missile strikes in months. Water and power services disrupted in many cities after these attacks. Kirill's been with us uh, many times here on the show. He was forced to relocate when Russia invaded Ukraine back in February. He's been living in Kyiv ever since. Kirill, thanks for being back with us. Take us through what things were like for you today.
7: Hi, Mike. Hi, Charles. Uh, Thanks uh, to invite me again. Well, uh, I'm actually woke up from the sound of explosion so yeah my um, my morning start not really really well not really common like in uh, as it was uh, last half a year so i just what what i did like in first seconds uh, uh i my pants uh, and go to the safe place in the apartment where I can be like, the most safe from it, explosions.
1: Is there any uh, sense that you have now perhaps of, of uh, you know moving uh, again or, or getting out of, of Kiev and if so, where would you go?
7: Well, uh, I can go out of country so there is no safe place for me. And, uh, well, I love Kiev. I don't want to go. So, yeah, I I think I I will be here
0: for now. Is the worry that this is going to continue, that this is like an escalation in nature? Because as we mentioned, as you mentioned, this was uh, something that did happen months and months ago, but it's been relatively quiet, at least, at least there in the capital for a while now.
7: Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty unusual. I think the last, uh, huge explosion as well was uh, at spring, so yeah, it w- it was quiet. I know. Uh, I, but, I uh, go ahead. Uh, I think uh, yeah, the uh, Russians will try to do this again. I think because uh, that's what they do. They they just want to scare us, but. Uh, the situation right now is not like in February or in March. Uh, people you no know, more scared. We're just angry.
1: Yeah, but I know a few months ago, uh, I think it was you, were, we were talking with him. it may have been somebody else in Kiev who told us that, you know, life was kind of going on like normal. People were going to, uh, you know, to bars and, and out to dinner and they were trying to kind of live their lives as best they could. Uh, As the war was raging, do you think that this escalation uh, that happened in the past 24 hours in the capital city might change that attitude that people have?
7: Mm, I think maybe it would change it for uh, some time, but uh, I don't think it can be changed uh, for a long time because you get used to this stuff. People uh, people learn how to sleep when your city is uh, bombing, like, at the moment. That was, uh, that was in much. And right now, uh, we didn't hear much explosions in a while, so that's why it's uh, stressful. Yeah, of course, it's stressful uh, for today. And uh, it was a really stressful day. That's what I can say, but I think in uh, in few days, life will be uh, come back. people just uh, will continue to live their lives. because today's city is really quiet.
0: From what you see and from what you hear, do you feel like the Russians are still the ones now on the defensive, not on the offensive that, that your troops, the Ukrainians are are still pushing them back, pushing them out of the territories that, that they took?
7: Well, um, I don't know much information because I'm not uh, an army chief and I don't need to have this information. But uh, what we told here and what you told there, uh, yeah, our troops actually fighting really good. And uh, what we saw in uh, uh, Kharkiv Oblast or in Kherson Oblast, Uh, That's uh, really impressive, and I think it will be continued because uh, Russians have uh, pretty bad supplies, and we have uh, a whole West world uh, behind our back.
1: Do you uh, worry about this escalating discussion about whether Putin is going to resort to tactical nuclear weapons?
7: Well uh, well, of course I am. Uh, he can do this, but he can, uh, but uh, what we see uh, what we can see today that he still has options like like these uh, rocket launches, like drones, like uh, uh, he still thinks that uh, he can uh, scare us. We're not here anymore. So I don't know, actually. Uh, Well, I know what I'm going to do if it will be started, because we, I think we will know about the nuclear, uh, nuclear, uh, sorry. Uh, We know about this danger uh, early, so we will have time. And I, uh, the Metropolitan in Kiev designed to resist this damage. So you actually can be safe there. So, well, I'm not a pessimist, but I'm not a, an optimist.
0: That's Kirill. He's been with us uh, many times here on, on In-Depth. Kirill, thanks for speaking with us again, and, and we do wish you the best as always. He's there in Kiev and uh, was woken up by the bombs this morning. More in depth on the way. This is KNX in depth. I'm Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman.
1: Just when it appeared that we've left the worst of the COVID pandemic behind it, us, there's a new variant in town. To be totally accurate, it's an Omicron subvariant with a scientific classification that really kind of I don't know rolls off the tongue. BA point two point seventy five point two nicely done yeah thank you it contains mutations that several epidemiologists have said could be troublesome
0: if it uh, does take hold starts to spread what does it mean in terms of a winter surge dr peter Chin-Hong directs the immunocompromised infectious disease program it's the uh, uc san francisco medical school has been with us before doctor thanks for being back so what do we know about this one ba you know all those other numbers
8: Yeah, it's almost like playing a game of bingo um the (laughs) nomenclature should have been simpler greek letters but now they're all flavors of omicron what we know about ba2.75.2 is that uh it's very immune invasive but you know it's in the big scheme of things it's probably not going to send a lot of people to the hospital uh probably if you're not if you haven't gotten at least one booster and uh, you're not up to date on vaccines in general, and you're older and immune compromised, you probably have the higher chance or the highest chance of getting into the hospital. But for everybody else, uh, you know, it will likely be a mild cold.
1: Well, the boosters that some of us have now gotten for, was it, BA4 and 5 uh, would they be impactful against, I'll go ahead, I'm going to go out on a limb, against 2.75.2?
8: Uh, they probably will have some effect. I mean, I think the updated boosters are more Omicron-like than the older ones. So it will reduce the risk of getting infected, particularly if you haven't had an infection in 2022. Uh, for those people who've had infection already, and that's a lot of Americans in 2022, uh, they will probably have a little bit more protection than those who haven't. So the short answer is probably not as much as we'd like uh, if it If it was just BA5 or BA4, uh, but um, still better than um, the old vaccine.
0: So, your immune system is seeing a cousin, but we're just trying to figure out if it's like a straight cousin or like second cousin or third cousin, like how far down the line we are.
8: (laughs) It's more like a grandchild, actually, of Omicron (laughs) because, you know, Omicron has these numbers we got to appreciate and understand, you know, it's simple like BA2 or BA4 and BA5. This is like the generation or the kids of those. Um, sub-lineages.
1: W- wouldn't it be easier to just call it BA6 because we have four and five instead of going back to two?
8: If they call it BA6, it might just be less confusing, and, and that's probably uh, not going to be as good for some people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. All right, so bottom line is still go get the new booster because it, maybe it'll help and it it, it sure is, uh, can't hurt.
8: Yes, it, it can't hurt. I mean, we've been seeing they've brought you know five sub lineages that people are following now and they all sound scary but again if you get that booster um, you know you don't have to worry about it and I'd really say if if you really want to get the most important point is get at least one booster and you know then you don't have to worry
1: I think everybody is pretty much fed up with the Omicron variant and all of its, you know, sort of siblings. Uh, are, is there a another variant out there that is not an Omicron one that perhaps is more concerning?
8: No, right now it's all flavors of Omicron, luckily, and they're recombinants, whenever you see an X in front of it, the Omicron, because they have circling around, they could actually infect, the different lineages can infect the same cell and then make um, like Frankenstein these um, recombinants but they're all flavors of Omicron and because this is an Omicron uh, updated booster it's going to uh, the promises it's going to help prevent some of these breakthrough infections these mild infections that can still be disruptive to society even if uh, you know you don't get seriously ill
0: is Paxilvid still working like it used to
8: That's a great uh, question, Mike. Paxlovid, remdesivir, they all work because they are spike protein independent, because they shut down the virus factory before it makes any, so it doesn't really care what the spike protein looks like.
1: Okay. So, in the greater scheme of things, are you more concerned about BA2752 infecting you, or, I don't know, getting hit in the head by a falling
8: airplane? Um, Because I'm boosted, I'm not too worried about it, really. Um, Even if I didn't get the current booster, uh, because I got at least three bef- three shots before, I, I I, know that I'm not going to get to the hospital with a high degree of certainty. So yes, I'd probably be more worried about getting flu or getting struck by lightning uh, than getting seriously ill.
0: Dr. Peter Chin Hong directs the uh, <laughs> immunocompromised host infectious disease program, UC San Francisco.
1: If you're 45 or older, no doubt you've heard the plea to get a regular colonoscopy, but what if they don't actually do that much to warn of impending cancers when we come back? You're listening to X In-Depth with Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. If you're 45 or older, chances are you've been told repeatedly by your doctor that it's time to start routine colonoscopies to screen for possible cancer, and the science seemed to strongly back up those pleas from doctors. Early colonoscopies were said to be vital in detecting and diagnosing cancers of the rectum and colon, the second most common cause of cancer death in the United States. But there is new research out of Norway that seems to question the effectiveness of a colonoscopy as an early cancer screening tool.
0: The study found only meager benefits for the group of people invited to get a procedure. Dr. Karen Knudsen, Chief Executive Officer of the American Cancer Society, with us. Doctor, thanks for being here. So, is this a um, big, um, disappointing finding, or is this one of those studies that might have a, a few problems with, with how they did it?
3: No, actually, it's a really interesting study, um, but I think it's very important to understand what this study is and what the study isn't. So, the study actually doesn't look at the effectiveness of colonoscopy. So, we're, we're very um, and anxious to ensure that that there's true clarification for Americans and and those living in this country who wonder about whether or not they should have a colonoscopy after age 45. We see nothing in the study that would change the guideline, uh, which currently recommends a colonoscopy at age 45. What this study actually did, we didn't compare people who had a colonoscopy and didn't. That would be an interesting way to, to go about asking the question. What this study actually did was divided people into two camps. One for which they did had said nothing about colonoscopy. And the second group, which they were invited to have a colonoscopy. And that's the key word here, invited. So this means that someone you know heard that heard that recommendation, but it doesn't mean that they acted on it. So when you actually look at the data within the study, over 60 or about 60% of those that got the invitation declined. So they didn't actually have a colonoscopy. So we wouldn't really expect the outcomes to be uh, different between those that were invited and didn't do it and those that didn't have the invitation. Now, if you look in even further of the approximate 40% that underwent colonoscopy, there was a reduction of, of cancer death by 50%. So we actually think these studies affirm the importance of colonoscopy, but also tell us something important about ensuring that when people are hearing the recommendation, that they act on it.
1: Okay, so so your interpretation of the study then is at great variance actually with how some others have interpreted, is that right?
3: I don't think so. So I think when you look at, at you know much of the discussion today in the medical and scientific community, it's in fact, th- th- there's only one way to look at this study. It's looking at the impact of two groups, one that were invited and one that weren't. and And the other group, and the group that was invited didn't take up the colonoscopy, largely.
0: But that's the scientific and the medical community. We also have a headline community that writes online. And you've seen all those that say, hey, this doesn't work anymore. So is that where we run into trouble?
3: So it's, you know, there's no problem with the study, as I said, it's a really interesting and important study, but what it doesn't do is tell us something about the effectiveness of colonoscopy. That's actually not the way the study was designed. The study was designed to ask whether or not an invitation to colonoscopy would change outcome, which in this case, it didn't.
0: So should I be told to get one rather than invited? (laughs) (laughs) Well, <laughs> My doctor needs to sit me down and say, "Hey, you are 45. So Let's you. get you scheduled. Let's get you scheduled in 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 4 weeks. How about that sign here rather than being like, "Hey, you know, it's your leisure. Come on in because then people aren't going to do it."
3: Well, that's exactly right. And I think it's important to know that guidelines that get written, such as the one that says age 45 is when the first colonoscopy should begin for someone of average risk, those are scientifically driven. Um, And there's nothing in this report that would cause us to change that science. Rather, I look at this report as a call to action for us to understand further why it is that those that are invited for colonoscopy don't take it on. Um, but, but it is the case that those that, and I think it's an important second point, that those that did have the colonoscopy showed a reduction in the risk of colorectal cancer death by 50%.
1: But d- do, we, do we really need to have a study to figure out why some people, even when they're invited, won't get it? Because, I mean, colonoscopies are not that pleasant. They just aren't.
3: They really aren't that pleasant. That is absolutely correct. And it's the case that you know, understanding and communicating to individuals their options when it comes to colorectal cancer screening, but also understanding their own risk. Not everyone is of average risk. A family history, a known genetic risk may increase your, your chance of developing aggressive colorectal cancer. So uh, if we could wave a magic wand, we'd ask every individual in this country When the next time they met with their primary care physician, irrespective of the reason why they're meeting, is to ask, what is the right cancer screening plan for me? Because those concepts are very well developed and supported by science.
0: Where are we at with some of these like early on at home kind of order a kit things?
3: Yeah, these are really important. So, uh, increasingly, we'll, I think in the future, we'll start to see cancer screening move toward home. And colorectal cancer is one of those that's made that leap forward. There are stool based tests that can give an early indication as to whether or not someone is at higher risk. If someone screens positive in that at-home testing scenario, then the next step for them is colonoscopy. Now, previously there were some challenges of not having complete reimbursement for what we call a follow-on colonoscopy. So in other words, I've tested positive at home. The next step for me is a colonoscopy, but now all of a sudden I find a financial barrier because it's not completely covered. So we at the American Cancer Society have worked um, with the, the US government and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid uh, in order to ensure that there is going to be complete uh, reimbursement for colonoscopy after an at-home test, which is, of course, the, the next right thing to do. And we, we expect that that will come into into uh, reality at the beginning of next year.
1: Yeah. And, and isn't the financial issue the other reason why a lot of people don't get colonoscopies? Because even if you're insured, there always are these kind of extra sort of nuisance charges that seem to always pop up in the mailbox. Uh, from assorted people connected to the procedure who bill either out of your network or in your network, but as a separate charge, or there always seems to be a bill at the end, no matter what.
3: You are raising such an important point, and we have certainly advocated for transparency in cost to individuals, especially when it comes to something as foundationally important to everyone as cancer screening. But there are other impediments to colonoscopy as well. Uh, you know, for someone who you know finds it difficult to take the time off work that's required to engage in colonoscopy screening, you know, that's an yet another barrier and another reason why uh, it's additionally important to develop. Tests that are easier to either take at home or require less um, time investment for someone. And those technologies are emerging and we're supporting those as well. But until that happens and becomes a reality, we know that colonoscopy should be part of someone's good health hygiene. And the good news is if, if at age 45, your first colonoscopy doesn't reveal polyps, doesn't reveal something that looks like a precancerous lesion, you don't have a family history or any other genetic reason for us. To, to have cause, then you have many years without colonoscopies
0: no longer required. <laughs> Dr. Right. Karen Knudsen, Chief Executive Officer of the American Cancer Society. Doc, thanks.
3: That's unfortunate
1: unless you want to keep getting them. <laughs> yes. Because, you know, some people just like getting them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> hey, can I get this next year? <laughs> All right. That's In Depth for today. We'll be back tomorrow, 1 p.m.